Welcome back to another episode of KPRB. I'm Lexi. And I'm Mara. And this time we read Check In Mate by Allie Hazelwood. Alright, Check In Mate by Allie Hazelwood was a new release in 2023, right at the end of the year, I believe. I think this is the newest book we read on the podcast. In this clever and swoon-worthy YA debut, from the New York Times bestselling author of The Love Hypothesis, life's moving pieces bring rival chess players together in a match for the heart. So cute. Mallory Greenleaf is done with chess. Every move counts nowadays after the sport led to the destruction of her family four years earlier. Mallory's focus is on her mom, her sisters, and the dead-end job that keeps the lights on. That is, until she begrudgingly agrees to play in one last charity tournament and inadvertently wipes the board with notorious king killer Nolan Sawyer, current world champion and reigning bad boy of chess. Nolan's loss to an unknown rookie shocks everyone. What's even more confusing? His desire to cross pawns again. What kind of gambit is Nolan playing? The smart move would be to walk away, resign, game over. But Mallory's victory opens the door to sorely needed cash prizes, and despite everything, she can't help feeling drawn drawn to the enigmatic strategist. As she rockets up the ranks, Mallory struggles to keep her family safely separated from the game that wrecked it in the first place. And as her love for the sport she so desperately wanted to hate begins to rekindle, Mallory quickly realizes that the games are only on the board, the spotlight is brighter than she imagined, and the competition can be fiercely attractive and infuriating. I didn't realize how much of the book it actually did kind of give away on the back, so... It does, but, like, not really. That's true. I kept reading because I knew kind of, like, where the story was headed, but... It was kind of predictable, but it was so good predictable. Yeah, this was definitely a 10 out of 10. I think everybody needs to go out and get this book, and you need to read it immediately, and you need to text me all of your feelings about it. And if you want my copy, I'll send you my copy. If you want me to buy you a copy, I'll buy you a copy. This book was so good. I gave it five stars, not mean. I didn't have to think about it. Like, it gets five stars. Yeah, it, mine was drop everything and read. And I that books don't get that very often, so. And it was quick. Like, I mean, if I ever had, like, a snow day, I probably would have read it in one day. Um, I think I did read it in one day, and I was wholeheartedly, fully invested in this book. I loved it. Yeah, it was quick. The story was five stars. The writing style was so good, five stars. And the romance, oh, It says it's YA, but when I was listening to a podcast with Allie Hazelwood, she said it's a new genre called New Adult. So it's like maybe out of high school, like 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 20, like New Adult. Well, I researched it because we had talked about New Adult, and it's kind of a controversy in the literary world about new adult because this genre of new adult is a new thing it's it came out in 09 and st martin's press was the first like printing publishing company that coined this term and new adult is books that are written from the age of 18 to like 25 to 30 ish so it is like about people that are in that age group 18 I saw some places it said 25 and some places it said 30, but that it tends to focus on issues such as leaving home, developing sexuality, and negotiating education and career choices. So basically, it, it covers the transition from late adolescence to early adulthood. I, like this book, though, was pretty PG. Yeah, it didn't have like two terrible things. It wasn't too spicy, yeah. Yeah, but not like I've read books that had a lot more on the page. Yeah, it was definitely not very like detailed spice. Like I could tell maybe it's like for younger. 
I I don't know if I would like let my high school student read this book. You'd have to be like a senior in high school. That's where I don't think it's young adult. That's where I do think it's like college kids. And I was I've been thinking about it because I read this book like so I thought it was going to take me a little while to get through. So after the last podcast we recorded, I was like, I'm going to start reading this. And I read it in one day and I've been thinking about it for the last like three weeks. I don't really think that you are technically an adult until you reach the age of 24. So whether that's you graduate from college, if that's you went to Votech, you got a job right out of school, I just don't think that anybody should be classified as an adult until you're about 24. So I do agree with this genre that you should have this new adult genre. But the controversy is, is that you already have YA, which is young adult, and you already have adult fiction, which is 18 plus. So people think that this is solely a marketing scheme to get people to buy books that are in the 18 to 25 age range. Now, let me tell you, these books, 18 to 25 age range, are the books that I like to read. So it would be really helpful if everything was um, classified as new adult genre, because I would just read all of it. These are my favorite kind of books to read. So yeah, I don't find a problem with it. I can understand if you um, are in the publishing industry, why you would think it was overkill to have new adult. I never heard of New Adult before until I listened to the podcast with Allie Hazel. Well, and like New Adult books are like Colleen Hoover is New Adult. Um, Sarah J. Moss is New Adult. Um, so I did, before we even start, I thought that this book was really funny and that Allie Hazelwood is so funny. It's like witty humor. It was so funny. I have that written down. It was humorous. Like I laughed a lot of times yeah and all the characters had really good one-liners but I yeah. felt like Mallory like it was she just had so many one-liners that conveyed her personality really well when they're into a monologue like yeah. when you're like she's like yeah my favorite quote was from Oz and it's kind of at the end of the book when he's talking to Mallory because she's all like pity party, like, oh, he paid for my way into chess. I'm never playing again. And he Oz says, if you unzip your asshole and pry your head out of it. It was really hard for me to pick my absolute favorite quote, but I think that one wins. If you yeah, unzip I'm your asshole and pry your head out of it, I'll probably start using that one. Two favorite quotes. One was an Oz quote, and it was when, I don't know, it was like right kind of at the beginning. It's in part two, but he says, who would have guessed that deliberately cultivating a natural talent would lead to the betterment of said talent? <laughs> Weird, right? <laughs> and then the other one I really liked was when Mallory was like, are your eyes going to pass water? Are you going to pass eye water? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Don't say it. We're gonna cry. No, I'm gonna pass eye water. Thank you very much. I don't think that this was the book either that she head Yeah, it is that she head desks. Yeah. She like hits her head on the desk, but she doesn't call it that's what she calls it head desking. And I thought that was funny. Mm -hmm. My favorite swoon quote that I like had to put the book down because I was like too involved with the story was when Nolan said to her like when he was like, I want to be your boyfriend. And he, he touched her and was like, touch, take, rule. Oh, jeez. <sighs> so before we start talking about part one. Okay. Here's the question I have for you. Okay. Do you know how to play chess? I absolutely 100% do not know how to play chess. <laughs> Me either. Do I want to learn how to play chess? Kind of. Um, my husband tried to teach me how to chess once, and it was terrible. <laughs> I asked my husband how to play chess, and he told me that he would, and he has just ignored me since then, so. So, I think maybe Costerville played chess one time. Hey. I just, I couldn't, and I don't know if it was the teacher or the student. <laughs> um, knowing both the teacher and the student, it was probably both of you. But I do want to preface like this podcast by saying 
in this book. Like, you can still read this book and have no idea about chess. It's not about chess. Like, I, like, there would be, like, chess things. I'm like, okay, I know enough about chess to understand it, but, like, I don't need to know all that other Yeah, stuff. this book is not I feel like if you really like chess, you might actually love this Yeah, book. that's true. And if you know anything about it, because I had no idea that you burned 6,000 calories a day during a tournament and that you have these crazy world championships, like, <sighs> we've been talking a lot about this at my house, but I did, I have, like, so many hobbies and interests and things and my social media is very curated towards those hobbies and I still will find people that have like interests that I have there are whole worlds out there that I have no idea like card trading and chess championships and I don't even know I mean fish tanks like there's it's just insane yeah well, I think that if my roommate taught me how to play chess, he, I would maybe beat him at chess, and I don't know if he would like that. Yeah. So, I don't know if we should start playing. Yeah. I mean, I could probably get my roommate to play chess, but my other roommates would probably steal the pieces and put them in places where we can't ever That play. is true. <laughs> probably what we should do is I should teach, your roommate should teach me how to play chess and my roommate should teach you how to play chess and it'll probably go a lot better for us. <laughs> Maybe our roommates could just play chess with each other and we could go do something else. Yeah, That's awesome. exactly. Um, another theme of this book is women empowerment. I don't want to forget about that. We've got the romance, we've got the chess, we've got some life things going on. But underneath of it all, we've got this girl, this woman, who is very good at chess, and the chess world is not open to women being good at chess. Yeah, so let's go ahead and talk about the first part, because I do have a little section about that in the first part. Okay, here's my notes for part one. Yep, that's it. <laughs> when I told you my notes were bad, um, I really meant it. Prepared. <laughs> we had a whole month for this, and I told you three weeks ago that you were going to be in charge of this. Well, here you go. On page 16, we have the first reference to the one, the only... Timothy Chalamet. And that's really, I really like this book because of the references to Timothy Chalamet. Because I think he is a really funny guy. Do you know anything about Whenever him? Whenever he's on SNL, I laugh at him. So, you know, her, what, 13-year-old sister is obsessed with him? I feel like Sabrina and Mara have a lot of the same interests. Not saying that you're a 13-year-old girl, but... I'm close. Checks. So, well, in this section, Matt, we find out that Mallory, her dad, is like mysteriously not in the picture. That she plays chess, but she doesn't want to play chess for some yeah, she has it for a long unknown time. reason. That there's this king killer who is like the bad boy in the chess world. And then. Her friend Easton, like, begs her to play in this chess competition, and she, like, casually goes into this thing. She's not, she's gonna play, she's, not, she's just not gonna play very hard, and then she ends up beating the king killer in this first chess match. Yeah, it does not go well. Well, because Nolan Sawyer is kind of a little baby. You think so? No, I think he has the hots for Mallory and he doesn't know how to handle it. But then she wins and now she has all this attention on her because she beat the number one person in the world. Yes. So she gets recruited, basically, right? She gets recruited by this, like, chess group. Yeah. To come and get paid to play chess? Yes. So she, she does, is it the fellowship because she yeah. gets paid for it because that's just one of the only reasons why she signs up for it is because she lost her job at the garage because she's kind of a B-I-C-T-H. And I say that, but it's not really a B-I-T-C-H. She just kind of stands up for herself. 
And so she got fired from that, but her mom has rheumatoid arthritis and can't work. So now that her dad is not in the picture, like they need an income. So she takes this fellowship, but then she doesn't tell her family that she's playing chess anymore. I know she lies the whole time. She said she's working at a nursing home or something like that. Yeah. That plot line, not very believable. But also, in the end, her mom is like, did you really think you were going to pull one over on me? <laughs> we knew you were playing chess this whole time. You were on the Today Show. Like, no, like, like, you think I wouldn't know you were on the Today Show? I saw online, because this was like a pretty TikTok, I don't know. I had some videos that popped up on my TikTok from it. And so I saw that um people are mad because Allie Hazelwood's like female main characters and especially Mallory are very self-deprecating in like how the um female main characters like seem to get into their own heads and this person who was putting the video out was so mad about it she doesn't like Allie Hazelwood because she thinks that her female main characters seem weak and they're too stubborn and they need to be like a lot more decisive and less in their head. I didn't know if I agreed with that. So I kind of wanted to see what your opinion on that was. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. I guess I thought maybe Mallory was 18, you think? 18 or 19. Like she's not very old. And I think this is what goes through a lot of 18 year olds' minds. That's what I thought. I mean, I think Mallory has a lot of responsibility. Like, she feels like it is her duty to take care of her sisters and her mother. Yes. And to make sure that they have food and shelter and the bills are paid. Even though her mom doesn't think that, her sisters don't think that. Like, it's kind of a self-imposed burden. Duty. Yeah. Yeah. If she, she puts it on herself because she's the oldest and she feels like she has to do it. And when we get to the end of the book, the mom is like, you don't, like, none of us expected that yeah. from you. I felt like it was really human nature. I just don't think yeah. that every book can be, like, I'm a female, I'm the best at everything, everything goes my way because I make it go my way. Our brains are wired to doubt. Yeah. Like, oh, am I good enough to play chess? Am I good enough to do this? And I don't know, I didn't feel like... Sh- it was bad. I didn't feel like that I either. Like that's an eighteen-year-old like trying to manage everything in the world. Well, and I also thought it's a book, and you have to have some character development in the book. So I just don't think that every book has to be like f the patriarchy, like down with the patriarchy. I don't know. Like everything's gonna go so perfect. So I thought that that was. I didn't feel like that at all. I felt like it was a really good story about getting out of your own head, asking for help, doing things you enjoy, stuff like that. So my other question is, do you really think that chess players burn 6,000 calories a day when they're in the tournament? How? 6,000 calories is a lot. How would they burn 6,000 calories? I don't know. I know that your like mental load would be high. Right. I thought that was maybe like an exaggeration, but that kind of seemed extreme. Okay. Yeah, because what would they be doing? I don't know. I'm running around the table. I mean, you can't do that. So, because that would be a lot. Like, like when you go for one mile, you burn usually like a hundred calories, whether that's walking or running. So you would have to do that for like six hundred miles in one day. I don't know. I didn't. I just didn't know. Maybe it was just a hyperbole. Maybe. Because definitely Mallory is not uh, dramatic at all in this book. That's what I think. Like, she, you could tell she's 18 years old. Yes. I could tell she's not the same age as I am. (laughs) For sure. Also, I can tell that she grew up in a world that I did not grow up in. Yes. Phones and I don't know. Just little stuff like that. So, city. She, like, lives in the city. I did not grow up in the city. It just is different. So, but I do have to say that Mallory was a relatable character to me. Because this is a quote on page 82. 
And she says, whenever, well, she was talking about how one time she accidentally sexted her mom and how (laughs) embarrassing it was. And she said, whenever I do something really embarrassing for days after the incident, I live in a state of utter mortification. At night, I close my eyes and my brain will yank me back to the deep well of my shame, projecting cringeworthy scenes in excruciating detail against my eyelids. And not that I've ever sexted my mom before, but I can relate to, oh, remember that one time I did something really embarrassing and my utter mortification is projected against my eyelids in excruciating detail. The other thing about Allie Hazelwood is I think that she's a brain scientist. She is. I think And so a lot of her books relate to that brain piece. Like the next sentence after your quote, like my neurons cling to every splinter of embarrassment. Yeah. (laughs) More feel like normal writers say things like that. Like you're brain scientists if you're talking about neurons. It was funny. Okay, this is the last thing for part one. Okay. Go to page 60. And there's a word I want to know if you know what it means. Okay. It's about halfway through. And it says, Chess and I broke up years ago, and I'm not some simpering girl who'll take back her cheating ex after being dumped during the slow dance at the prom. Do you know what the word simpering means? Yeah, isn't that like you... Oh, I I feel like I know what it means, but I can't... I don't have like the words. Give me a second. It's like crawl on your hands and knees and go back to somebody. Yeah, like, when you simp for someone, you, like, really, really like them. Like, you want them. Yeah. I just think this book has a lot of, like, trendy stuff in it. And I'm, like, simpering. Like, I thought I read it and I had to go back and reread it. It was like, no way. She didn't use, like, she didn't make up this word. Like, did she really, like, and I was like, oh, yeah, she did. (laughs) She made it up. Well, like, simp isn't, but, like, simpering. Oh, yeah. See, that's the kind of stuff I think is funny. Yeah, but oh my gosh. I feel like I got that. I feel like I knew what that was. Okay, okay. Good, good, good. Okay. Part two? Part two. Well, you're in charge of these, so. (laughs) Yeah, this is obviously going very well. She plays in a tournament. Yeah. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much. This is where they introduce Coke. I don't know what his first name is. And he's that like real douchey. Like he's a bully. He's the one that is like, you're a female, you can't be good at chess. Mm -hmm. And this is where we find out a little bit more that her dad is dead, because we knew that her dad was like not in the picture. But we don't really know what happened. It seems kind of mysterious, but he is dead. Because I thought for at first, like, oh, maybe they had a really big fight about chess. And that's why they don't talk to each other anymore. That's why she doesn't play anymore. But then we find yeah, out he's dead. He talking. Yeah, I just thought, like, she cut him off. Yeah. And, like, the mom cut him off for some reason. So then they were just estranged. Yes. But I also, my question for this part is... Who is the real villain of this story? Is it Coke or is it Sabrina, the sister? Because the sister. Well, this is where no- when Nolan comes over and eats dinner at her house. Yeah. And they watch Riverdale together. And he eats a lot of meatloaf. Yeah. And that's when her mom was like, you brought this guy came over and you guys were just working friends at a nursing home but you're both like 20 plays up the nursing home stuff like she has to tell him like oh hey don't tell them anything about chess i actually told them i work in a nursing home (laughs) my favorite part is that darcy figures it out because he she just simply googles nolan and is like oh the number one chess player in the world you mean when he was over at our house eating meatloaf with us and watching riverdale and Mallory's like, what? I didn't know that. That's how I feel like you can tell this book was written really well because that is what an 18-year-old girl would do. I thought 
for a while, Sabrina was going to be the real villain of this story. Because everything Mallory did, she was like, no, I hate you. No, I hate you. And I think this is the section. Super sassy. Yeah. This is the section that Mallory wants to put just a tiny bit of nail polish remover in her sister's oatmeal in the morning because she's tired of dealing with it. When Nolan comes over, over Darcy, like, just, they're, like, eating dinner. And she asks him while they're eating. Maybe you'll have sex tonight? Yeah, because it's a very sex-positive house. Is that why you came over? <laughs> what? And Mallory's like, this girl still sleeps with a stuffed fox. Like, no! Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's funny. And, and Nolan answers, it seems unlikely. And no, it's not why I came <laughs> Oh, also we forgot to mention that Mallory is bisexual. Oh yeah, I forgot about <laughs> that. He also says... Did you know Mal has sex with boys and girls? <laughs> and that she really likes to hook up. I, that kind of confused me at the beginning, I'm not going to lie. I just thought, yeah, this is definitely not a 33-year-old writing this <laughs> or living this life. But Yeah, sometimes it's hard because it, like the beginning really felt like an information vomit. And I didn't really like Mallory in the beginning. I thought she was kind of like... She didn't seem very organized. <laughs> yeah, she wasn't very likable for a while until you got to know her. Because she just hated everything, so. Well, this is the part, I thought that this was funny. And I think this is another callback to the writer is a scientist. Nolan and Mallory are somewhere, and I don't even remember. And I should know, but I don't. And she says, I turn around, but my body already knows, like my atoms vibrate differently when he's near. Which probably just means that his presence gives me radiation poisoning. (laughs) I just really loved it because it was like, she just didn't want to, like, that she did not want to be in love with him at all. So it was like, oh yeah, my body's having these feelings, but actually it's probably just him giving me radiation poisoning. (laughs) I thought it was funny. And you can tell that, I could tell that Nolan was clearly crushing hard eyes for Mallory. Oh, and he had no idea. Like, he's so awkward. Yes. He has no, like, social skills whatsoever. But when you're a chess prodigy from the age of, like, eight and on, and you have, like, what is that? When you turn, when you, like, legally separate yourself from your parents... Yeah, and he emancipated himself really young, so... And he, he forgot to mention this, he's chiseled. Like, he is... This... Is not how I pictured him. This cartoon needs some work. Is He looks like a block of wood. Yeah, but he is, like, he works out. Yeah. And you can... He, wor- he like, works out. Yeah. Anyway... should have been talking about what chapters all these parts were oh part three starts at chapter 15 and goes through chapter 21 now part three was where i really had a hard time paying attention to anything that i needed to take care of and i just wanted to read this book forever and ever so yeah she starts to travel mallory starts to travel for her chess tournament yeah making like buku bucks yeah, but she starts making up these excuses to her family, like, oh, we're taking the elderly on a ski trip or something. <laughs> oh, okay. It's an overnight trip. You're not going to take old people on an overnight trip somewhere. No. Like, if they're old enough to be in a living center, like, they're not going places. And my favorite part was that they just, like, totally glossed over the fact that these were implausible scenarios. But then... That her mom completely knew what was going on because Darcy yeah, ratted her out like mom. in the yes. very beginning. So yep. this is also where Nolan gets sick and Mallory goes over there and then they end up falling asleep on the couch together. Uh, yeah, I liked it when Nolan got sick. Because Nolan was kind of like uptight. So then he was sick and he kind of got like loosey-goosey. And he really doesn't remember anything about when he was sick. (laughs) He did tell about his grandpa 
and how his grandpa was like a big chess prodigy and was really good at chess and then how he kind of started to lose his mind he had like alzheimer's i think or dementia and um then one time he like held a knife to nolan and then nolan's dad like went crazy and put him in a home and that was kind of the last straw for nolan so that's when he got emancipated but yeah nolan lives in his grandfather's apartment yeah and then the challengers which is like the top 10 really i think it's like the top nine chess players and then there's a wild card and mallory gets the wild card so then she can go to these challengers before the cha- the challenger start nolan texts her and is like you need to stay hydrated you need to do this do that i'm so good at chess and this was another one of my favorite quotes is she's freaking out about it because she hasn't talked to him since they woke up on the couch together and then she slipped out and she says because i woke up on his couch and my first instinct was to burrow into him a horror story in 15 words (laughs) (laughs) Ah, i just think it's so funny it is so dramatic it was so dramatic it's so witty like who says that yeah (laughs) a horror story in 15 words this is when she makes her chess friends when she gets to be good friends with Emil and everybody. And this is kind of when she starts to realize, like, oh, yeah, maybe I do like to play chess. Yeah. And maybe this is something I could keep doing. And she's winning a lot of money. So Mallory loses in the, like, number one match. The match to see who's going to go play Nolan in the world championships. And that's when Coke beats her. Yeah, because Coke is a douche. When he when I was reading it, I was like, there's something that's wrong about this. Like, there's no way. I don't feel like he's this good. And then later we find out he actually cheated. Shocker. Which makes me so mad because in that first match that they played together, he got Mallory disqualified because she had doodled on her scorecard. And you're only supposed to take notes on your scorecard. He's just a little baby. So she loses. And then Nolan says, be my second. And when you're your second, you get to play chess with each other all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt like this story had like a very high stake romance relationship Like, I felt like the stakes were really high, like war fantasy novel stakes level. And then I had to remember, this is just about chess. Like, you can chill out. It'll be fine. And also, then they start to play chess together, and then it's, like, super swoon. But they never play against each other. Right. It's one of their, did they, like, say that as a rule? Like, they, like, told each other, like, we were never going to play against each other. Yeah, I think that that was Mallory's rule. Then, it all falls apart. Because Mallory finds out that Nolan is the one who paid for her fellowship with Daphne. And he's the one that got her into the challengers. And she's really mad because she feels like he was just doing that so then he could be in love with her and i don't know i don't know i thought this was really dramatic of molly and then you find out like he donated the money no matter what yeah right like it didn't matter if that it was mallory who got the fellowship like he was gonna pay for a fellowship it was more like he was going to pay the fellowship, but he said, I'll pay the fellowship, like, in full if you get Mallory. Yeah. I just, I don't Daphne know. Daphne makes a good point. When I was reading this part, I just thought, like, she reacted with a lot of emotion. Yeah. And it was kind of dramatic. And I was like, why is this, like, hurting her so much? Um, Because, I don't know. I don't, I just didn't. I just felt, I don't know, if it was sort of, like, unnecessary climax. <laughs> yeah, there had to be, like, a fight. Right, and I knew there had to be, like, something coming that was going to shake up the plot, and it had to be with Nolan, because 
but I'm just, who cares where the money came from? Yeah, and I think Daphne and Oz, that's when Oz tells her to unzip her asshole and pull her head out. <laughs> you have to decide, like, do you want to be a woman in chess and you have this opportunity to, like, really break through and are you going to be mad about the fact that Nolan donated the money? Or are you just going to suck it up and play because now you have this, like, really insane opportunity? Yeah. I think, too, she's, like, very dramatic. But also, her dad was cheating on her mom and then got really drunk and then died in a car accident because he was drunk driving. And I think all of that plays into effect. And so I personally don't know how, like, to react about it. But I think that that was part of it was that she felt like she was being lied to. Mm-hmm. But in part four, we find out that Coke cheated. So now Mallory is going to be at the world championship versus Nolan. And this is when her mom and her sister, like, we knew this all along that you were not working at a senior life center. Yeah. And they get to go to Haley with her. Yeah. And this is also when her mom is like, I know that you take a lot of responsibility for your dad's death, but he was cheating on me for like years before this one and he also has had two DUIs like this was a him problem this is not a you problem and I appreciate that you were trying to help us out but you don't need to constantly help us out you don't have to give up what you want to do so then our family can be okay right and I think that's where a lot of Sabrina's like hatred came from was that Mallory was constantly blaming Sabrina and Darcy for not being able to go to college, for not playing chess. And I think that Sabrina was being a 13-year-old, and that's how they act, so. Right. (laughs) But this is also when Oz tells her to cry me the fucking Nile. (laughs) I really liked Oz. I thought he was And here's the thing about Allie Hazelwood, and I'm going to read her other books, but I have not yet. Something about her writing makes a sentence like that work when usually it wouldn't. Because you would not, you would just right. say, like, cry me a river. But to say, like, cry me the effing Nile, like, that's so dramatic. But you spent the whole rest of the book, like, these, they're, fu- it's funny. So yeah, ugh, I just, I liked it. She's so good. She, I just think she's so good at her job, so. She's so good at her side gig because she's actually a professor. She has a PhD in neuroscience. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh. Then this is how the end of the book went for me. It was Mallory decides to play. Easton comes, which we haven't talked about Easton, who's her friend from Colorado. Easton comes and goes, pull yourself together. Nolan and Mallory. You are the number two chess player in the world. Pull yourself (laughs) together. She Edna modes it. Yeah. Then Mallory and Nolan make up. They play chess. Two years later, they're playing chess again. We find out Mallory won. Ha ha ha. Nolan, you're the worst. And that they're still together, but they're not really telling people that they're together. Yeah. That's kind of how I felt like the end went. I felt like they went to Italy and it was like, bam, 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 bam. Yeah. I was expecting a little bit more. <laughs> I liked how it ended, though. I thought it was like a clever ending to say, you know, they said like, oh, we play chess against each other. And then it was the epilogue. And then they kind of went through a couple things. And it was kind of a cliffhanger. So I liked the way that she said that Mallory won without saying like, Mallory won. And this is where if you're a chess player, you might be very angry because you didn't get to see the final match. But yeah. as someone who doesn't understand chess, I'm glad that there was not a single play of chess written into this book because I do not know what chess is. So, yeah. Like, I know a rook is a type of chess thingy, like a position, a player. A piece? A pawn. A pawn. No, it's a pawn, pawn is a piece in chess. A rook is the um, the castle thing, I think. Yeah, but it's a paw, a type of pawn. No, it's a piece. A pawn is a piece. A pawn is the one that's in the front line. 
Oh. So a rook isn't considered a pawn. Let me see. <laughs> Eight pawns, two bishops, two knights, two rooks, one queen, one king. Sixteen pieces. Okay, got it. I I Capitan Google. So I don't know if it was... Do you have anything else you'd like to say about this book? No, just that I would like to reiterate that you need to go out and you need to find a copy of this book as soon as you can, and you need to sit down and read it cover to cover. If you're close to where I live, I'll let you borrow my copy. Um, or you could get it on Amazon, that's what I did. But also, if you have an independent bookstore next to your house or in your neighborhood that you like to visit, you should go to them, too. Yeah, bookshop.org, um, that's a good place to go for independent bookstores, so... Or your local library. I can't remember if it was the same podcast with Allie Hazelwood or if it was a different podcast I was listening to. But they were talking about romance books. I think it was this one. I think it was Friends in Fiction when they were talking with Allie Hazelwood. And one of the questions they asked was, do you remember the first romance book that you read? Did they? Yes, but do you remember the first romance book? Yeah, I would say the first romance book that I read was probably Lock and Key by Sarah Dessen. How old were you when you read that? Freshman in high school. You, did you check it out from the high school library? 100%, Mrs. Coley. I'm pretty sure that I got to be the first one that read it. My my first romance book was also in high school. Um I feel like it may be a little more steamy than the Sarah Dessen book because it was by Barbara Dolinsky. <laughs> oh. And, and, and I was a freshman and it was called A Woman's Place. I've never read that book. It was really not appropriate for <laughs> freshmen and I took me reading. Classic. But after I read that one, of course I went right back to the Barbara Dolinsky shelf. <laughs> I don't know if I've flirting with Pete, which was a really, really good book, but also, like, probably not appropriate. But, of course, I told my best friend, Alicia, to read it. So then Alicia read Flirting with Pete, and then we just, like, passed around Flirting with Pete. And, like, you probably should not have been reading this as freshman girls, especially if you knew us as freshman (laughs) girls. Yeah, I don't think I've ever read a Barbara Barbara Dolinsky book. Um, so I don't have any idea what you're talking about. I also feel like between, we're just four years apart, but I kind of feel like in between the time that you went to high school and I went to high school, there was a pretty big surge of like young adult. I'm thinking like the only YA book I can really think of, um, or like Twilight. Uh, but most of the books I read in high school, I feel like were adult books because that's what was being public. I mean, it just wasn't a genre niche yet. See, that's why I think that new adult is, I think, so helpful because I think that there's probably, I just think people are reading a lot more books that are age appropriate. And one thing I want to do this year is go back and read A Woman's Place and see what it's like, like, 20 years later. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll read that Finding Pete. What was that? Finding? Flirting with Flirting. Maybe I'll read that. Flirting with people. Books that our mom was reading. Okay, I looked. I got. I know. I checked out Barbara Lindsay because, like, oh, I've seen my mom read that, so I'll read it. (laughs) Definitely in middle school. I don't remember reading books. I know I read them, but I don't really remember. A lot of um, Phyllis Reynolds Naylor in middle school because she had like there was this house of like three sisters and then this other house of three boys and they would fight like the boys versus girls it was feud and there was like a whole series of them i honestly don't remember i read wuthering heights i do remember that harry potter that was pretty big when i was in i don't really remember anything and then in high school i feel like i read a lot more but then again i can't really remember what i read I remember when I read Water for Elephants. I don't think I've read that book. And then The Kite Runner. Like, all of, like, those two books are adult books. Yeah. I think we read them when we were sophomores. Like, 
Yeah, I still just think that there weren't, there wasn't like a lot of young adult. We read, I mean, Sarah Dessen, we read a lot of Sarah Dessen. Yeah. It's just, an, I just thought it was an interesting question. Like, yeah. And all the people on the podcast, like, they could distinctly remember, like, their first romance. What were their first romance? And you expect me to remember? Oh, give me a break. You don't remember? What are you reading right now? Mm, I just finished The Book Thief last night. And that is five out of five. Like, I waited way too long in my life to read that. It came out in 2005. Like, I was in high school. I probably should have read it when I was in Um, I'm reading this book on my Kindle. It is called One Night Only. And she has a one-night stand, but then she has to fly to Ireland for her best friend's wedding because she's the maid of honor. And she gets to Ireland, and the best man is her one-night stand. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll probably read that book. So it's pretty good. I started the Harry Potter fanfic Manacle. Don't even talk to me about that. I'm going to cry. It's just kind of dark, so I had to take a break. Um, But I've had two people who've read it, and they both like to read it. I'm listening slash rereading A Court of Thorn and Roses because I've only read the first two and a half. And before I read the third one, I feel like I need to reread the first. I am reading You Again by Kate Goldbeck. And I waited. Look, Allie Hazelwood is on, says that this book is good. So, um, I waited since like September to get this book from the public library because I don't like to pay for books. And so I finally got it and I'm so excited about it. And it's good. It kind of does remind me of Check and Mate where it's like two people that hate each other, you know, are actually going to fall in love. I just finished this Brandon Sanderson book. Brandon Sanderson did a Kickstarter campaign and it was the biggest Kickstarter campaign ever. And it was um, four books that were needed to get published. And so I got the second one for Christmas. My husband and I did, well, he calls it Crystal Knockin, and that is not the name of it. I think it was. I call it Crystal Knock. No, I don't even, it wasn't even that because I looked up the Instagram post that I sent to him that it was and it was like Floofendal or something like that but it was Norwegian and it was not Crystal Knockin but at our house we call it Crystal Knockin and it's where you get each other the people in your family a book on Christmas Eve and then you open it and then you just read on Christmas Eve so he got me the second book it's like a frugal wizard's guide to medieval travel or something and it was fine. I don't know. Brandon Sanderson is like fantasy Mongol, but he reads like deep, deep, or he writes like deep fantasy novels. And the two, I read the first one in this Kickstarter campaign and it was fine. And then I read the second one and it was fine. Like, I don't know. I also read Manacled and it absolutely destroyed me. I still want to kind of cry. My other friend who read it said she can't watch the movies right I now. I can't. Because it is, like, just messed her up just enough that she's like, what's real life and what's not in here? The hard part that I have is that J.K. Rowling did such a good job writing Harry Potter. And Harry Potter is middle grade. It is meant for middle schoolers, and it is meant for you to grow up with Harry Potter. With that being said, as a Harry Potter adult, I am not okay after reading about this fan fiction that was written about the story after Voldemort kills Harry is really what it is. Yeah. And it's like alternative reality. Like um it was so good and it was so well written and it is everything that I wish Harry Potter was as an adult when I was reading it. So um yeah it kind of ruined me but I just Hermione, one of my favorite characters. The story is so sad. I like Draco as a char- his character development in the original books. And so it was really interesting to see like what 
I don't know, just like you have to be the villain, but you're being the villain to save yourself and your family. So, but it is very sad. It's very graphic. Um, it is, it's free. You can download it. I put it on my Kindle. It's free, but it is very sad. It has a lot of hard themes and it is very graphic. So, but, oh, it's so good. So. Oh, we need to talk about our next book. Oh, yeah. Talk about the next book. All right. Our next book club pick Episode three is the Yo- Yonalahasi Writing Camp for Girls. Yeah. By Anton D. Scalafani. Probably not how you say it, and I apologize profusely. This book takes place in 1930 in the middle of the Great Depression. After her mysterious role in a family tragedy, passionate, strong-willed Thea Atwood, age 15, has been cast out of her Florida home, exiled to an equestrian boarding school for Southern debutantes. Is that how you say that? I guess just debutantes. <laughs> debutantes. <laughs> makes a little Spanish in there. It's got a lot of letters in it. High in the Blue Ridge Mountains, with its complex social strata ordered by money, beauty, and girls' friendships, the Yonalahasi Writing Camp for Girls is a far remove from the free-roaming, dreamlike childhood Thea shared with her twin brother on their family's citrus farm, a world now partially shattered. As Thea grapples with her responsibility for the events of the past year that led her here, she finds herself enmeshed in a new order one that will change her sense of what is possible for her, her family, and her country. Weaving provocatively between home and school, the narrative powerfully unfurls the true story behind Thea's expulsion from her family, but isn't long before the mystery of her past is rivaled by the question of how it will shape her future. Part scandalous love story, part heartbreaking family drama, the Yona Lahasi Writing Camp for Girls is an immersive, transporting page-turner, a vivid, propulsive novel about sex, love, family, money, class, home, and horses, all set against the ominous threat of the Depression and the major debut of an important new writer. Okay. And I think I said Yonahalasi different every time. Yonahalasi! <laughs> I'm excited about this one, but I like historical fiction. I like historical fiction. I'm a little nervous because I think I've maybe burnt myself out on historical fiction. But since it's the Great Depression, maybe it'll be okay. Yeah. Definitely War- World War Two. I think maybe it's been a little bit overdone and I need to take a break from it. So, but the Great Depression is different. Yes, it is. Okay, well, see you next time on KPRB. Peace out, potties. Bye bye. KPRB is created and hosted by Lexi Pusty and Mara Coster. It is edited and produced by Lexi Pusty. Music is by Young Carts. 